0: The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We're going to turn to Psalm 42 and 43. Uh, It's actually just one psalm. Psalm 43 is actually a continuation of Psalm 42. So uh, we're going to read it as one. There is a, a basic misconception about uh, these psalms, as Dan was mentioning uh, And it has to do with the song, "As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. You alone are my strength and shield, and you are l- alone. May my, to you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Now, when you listen to the words that Psalm, you see a man that is confident in his faith, that has it all together. A man after the heart of God, right? Would you be... Depths of despair He's a man who has lost everything and he is struggling with his faith. So as I read through the psalm this evening, I want you to sense the waves of depression that's coming over him and how he struggles to make sense of it all. So Psalm 42, we'll start there and we'll read both psalms. As the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I come back and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while while my tormentors continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I have gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. And of the Hermonites, from the hill Mizar, deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me in my prayer unto the God of my life. And I will say unto God my rock, Why have you forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me. While well, they say daily unto me, where is your God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Judge me, O God. And plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O, oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Thou dost, why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O, oh, send out thy light and thy truth, and let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go into the altar of God, unto God, my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp I will praise thee, O God, my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for this psalm and for the struggle the psalmist has. Lord, may it speak to our hearts. We ask that you would build your hedge of protection around us this evening, that the enemy might not disrupt or distract or d- destroy the message that you have for us this evening. Just bless us, Lord, and through your spirit, teach us the things that you would have us to learn. In Christ's name, amen. Back in the good old days, we used to uh, crib our corn. Uh, This particular morning, I was uh, picking corn at my cousin's farm while my father was plowing on a farm three miles away. It had rained the night before, Uh, So the ground ground was firm, but it was slick on top. As the wagon began to fill with corn, the tractor and picker began to slip and slide. It was obvious that we were not going to get any corn in the crib that day unless we had the four-wheel drive tractor that was plowing in a field three miles away. We shut down the operation, and as I was getting into the car... Our cousin's dog, a black lab, ran full tilt into the cornfield, as if chasing a jackrabbit. Five seconds later, the dog came running out, full tilt, with its tail between its legs, and right behind was a fully mature buck, with its antlers down in a charge. The dog headed towards the house, and when the deer saw us, he headed cross-country. As I drove to the other farm, I was laughing to myself, but I kept an eye on that deer that was running along the fence line at the back end of the farms. I turned down the side road just in time to see the deer cross that road and jump the ditch and continue on. A mile later, I turned onto the back line, and I caught up to it as he was entering our farm. He was about 30 yards in the field when I came up beside him on the road. He lowered his head as if to charge, and then he wheeled around, crossed the field, and disappeared into the creek that runs through the middle of our farm. There he was able to hide and rehydrate from the exertion of the run. So what's the point of my story? A deer who is panting is a deer that has been on the run. Fear and panic had caused the animal to run for its life. So, as the deer, so is the psalmist. He is also on the run. Fear Panic and confusion overwhelms him as he also flees from his enemies. This is not David. The psalm was written by a son of Korah. He was a descendant of a Levite, so his inheritance and his livelihood was connected to the service in the temple of God. The sons of Korah were the gatekeepers, the guards for the temple. It became a significant job uh, as the nation's wealth in gold was stored above the holy place and above the holy of holies. The sons of Korah were responsible for guarding that temple day and night and for opening the doors of the gate in the morning for the worshipers. The tribe of Levi was divided into 24 groups and each group would take their turn serving at the temple for a week. Then they would return home and resume their duties throughout the nation. The musicians were the exception to the rule. Men of exceptional ability were trained to greet worshipers and to prepare their hearts for worship. Their homes were in Jerusalem, and they served at the temple 365 days a year. As you can imagine, this was a really sweet job. They would go out to the highways and the byways, and they would greet the pilgrims on their way to the temple. And they would slowly lead the people with songs and hymns as they escorted them, the worshippers, to the temple. For God's people were required... To enter their gates, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Their hymn book was, of course, the Psalms, and particularly the Songs of Degrees or the Songs of Ascent. These are the Psalms from Psalm 120 to 134, the Pilgrim Psalms. The psalmist really loved his job. Uh, he also wrote Psalm 84. And here's a couple verses from that Psalm. Verse 2 My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Verse 10 For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand in the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. He loved his job. But now he was in exile. In Psalm 42, verse 4, the psalmist laments and longs for the day when he served in the temple. Verse 4. It says, I pour up my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them and led them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise and with a multitude that kept holy day. The idea here is to lead deliberately and to slowly with purpose. It was a procession to the house of God. In chapter 43, verse 4, we read this. We see that he... Accompanied his singing with the harp or the stringed instrument. This is probably the musical instruments that David manufactured in preparation for the service in Solomon's temple. He writes, I will go to the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy, yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God my God. So why is he on the run? What circumstance has precipitated his fleeing for his life? One might be tempted to consider the incident when David, fleeing from Saul, stops at the tabernacle at Nob and asks Ahimelech for some food and for a weapon. Ahimelech offers him some day-old showbread as long as David and his men were Ceremoniously clean, and he gives him the sword of Goliath. When King Saul finds out, he confronts Elimelech, and he has all the priests and the Levites working in the tabernacle that day executed. There were 85 in all. And if that wasn't enough, he went into the Levite city of Nob, and he killed the women and children as well. Only Abiathar, Limelech's son, escaped. And that was not the only occasion when things went bad in the house of the Lord. As time went on, corruption had entered the temple. During the period of kings, there were evil kings who promoted the worship of the Baals, and they polluted the temple with their idols. And then there were good kings who tried to draw the people back to God, cleansing the temple from these idols. Temple routine during those years were often suspended, and then resumed, and then all but abandoned. And then you have to consider the possibility that it refers to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian conquest when the Israelites were exiled to Babylon and the temple was destroyed. You know, the truth be told, the role of the Levite and priest was not always easy and often fraught with danger and peril, and when you think about it, the church has fared no better. Now we have re- recently experienced relative peace in our age in, in North America, but that is not the rule. God's people have experienced persecution and hardship throughout the ages. So this psalm speaks for the persecuted church as well. Now we are not certain on what occasion the psalmist wrote the psalm, but in Psalm 43, verse 3, in his prayer, he says this, O send out thy light and thy truth, and let them lead me. Let me, let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy dwelling place. Then I will go to the altar of God unto God my exceeding joy. Here he, here he identifies the holy hill, Mount Moriah, where the city of Jerusalem is located, and the temple of the Most High God. Therefore, the writing of this psalm is much later than the reigns of David and Solomon. And then in verse 1 of Psalm 43, he writes this, Plead my cause against an ungodly nation, and deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. This could refer to any one of the corrupt kings of Judah during that period. Or it could refer to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. We're just not certain. So, where is the psalmist when he wrote the psalm? In Psalm 42, verse 6, he writes, O my God, my soul is cast down. Therefore, I will remember thee from the source of the Jordan, from the peaks of Hermon and Mount Mizar. The psalmist had fled northward, beyond the borders of Samaria and the territory that once belonged to Israel. There he is exiled from his home. And there is little comfort in his new surroundings. Tormentors who knew his plight abused him continually. In 42, verse 3, he says, My tears have been my meat all day long, while my tormentors say to me, all day long, where is your God? And they are relentless. In chapter 42, verse 10, it says, As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me. Well, they say to me, All day long, where is your God? So who are these tormentors? Probably displaced people as well, exiled from their homes. They are either current or former enemies of Judah. By the way, what would you say to the person who said, Where is your God? Where is your God? I figure he's in the same place he's always been. He hasn't moved, he isn't rattled, and he's in control. So here's the situation. The psalmist is hiding, exiled from his home. He has lost his livelihood he is alone without sympathizers. He is tormented by those around him. Can anybody relate? Everyone has faced trials at one time or another. And many of you have suffered great loss. Perhaps some of you have, have uh Endured abuse, whether verbal or emotional or physical abuse, being tormented all day long, or so it may seem. The psalm itself is a roller coaster ride of emotions, indicating its writer is in great distress. He goes from longing for the great good times. The depression, to hope in God, to dreading his present circumstances, to despair, to hope in God, the circle of regret. He plays the same scenes over and over in his mind, trying to find a solution to his problem with no avail. He talks to himself, which some people think is crazy. But really, sometimes you just have to talk to someone as intelligent as you are, right? And if you can't find anyone, yet to talk to yourself. It's as simple as that. In chapter 42, verse 5. And the same verses in verse 11, and in 43, verse 5, he asks himself, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disturbed? Then he gives his answer. Hope in God, and I will again praise thee. In other words, snap out of it. God is in control. God is in control. This is really good advice. Now, listen, we have to learn to talk to ourselves and remind ourselves that God is our only hope. The psalmist does it all the time. In Psalm 103, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who pardons our sins, who heals our diseases, who redeems us, who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies our mouth with good things. This is really good advice to give yourself. That is good advice. But if you are discussing with yourself, what are you going to say to that so and so, that tormentor, the next time you see him? Well, you're just wasting your time because it never turns out the way you think it's going to. So this psalmist is trying to, is struggling to hold on to God. He has the right focus and then he prays. In 42, verse 8, it says this. In 42, verse 8, he is hopeful, emotionally up, and he says, The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. and the night, his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. So far, this is good. Verse 9, And I will say to my rock, why have you forgotten me? You see, he just blew it. He was went from trusting God no matter what to complaining. You see, it's hard to think straight when you are under duress. In chapter 43, verse 1, it says this, Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Deliver me from the deceitful man. Good prayer, right? This is a cry for help. That is the first thing I pray every morning when I get up. Lord, help me. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, I need you. Then he continues, For thou art the God of my strength. Again, This is good. You know, this is, Lord, you are my strength and my shield. Then he says, why have you rejected me? Just blew it. Why doesn't he say something like, I will trust you no matter what? Let me ask you a question. Is it wrong to be candid with God, to complain to him? Is it wrong to open yourself up to God like this and express your feelings? Does God understand? The psalm ends as it began. Why are you depressed? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Hope in God, for I will again praise him. There is no conclusion. There's no resolve to the crisis in the psalm. I don't think we can fully understand or fully appreciate the psalm until we ourselves have gone through the fiery trial. Twenty years ago, I faced such a trial, and this psalm has since become mine. My younger, happy, outgoing brother one day snapped, and he became a bitter and angry man, and he took it out on me. After university, his first teaching job was for a private Christian school teaching delinquent and hard-to-handle children. It was a very strict and authoritarian it was very strict and authoritarian in its discipline. And we discovered later that the school was using behavior modification techniques and spiritual abuse. To elicit the behaviors they expected, and they also use these techniques on the staff. My brother never thought he could measure up to the idea that they expected, or submit to them the way they wanted. That was the only way that we could get him out of this what we consider a cult, which we did. But they implanted a seed in his mind. They told him that his problem stemmed from his father and his brother. He never could overcome this, and he was never able to successfully re-enter society. One day it all exploded. He blamed me for his divorce and for his unsuccessful career path. Somehow I was never the brother that he needed. When he visited, I never knew if Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde would appear. No matter our conversation, it always ended unpleasantly with me being the dummy who needed to be taught or corrected. I apologized over and over again to no avail. If that wasn't bad enough, he recruited help. He asked his church to pray about it. Because I was the one who needed help. Unaware of the situation, they enabled him to continue his abuse. He recruited my parents. My mother wanted me to make it right. I was pressured from all sides. I can't tell you how many sleepless nights I had. What did I do wrong? Where did it go wrong with my brother? I would pray and cry for help and healing, and no answer came. I played and replayed scenes in my head trying to find an answer to the problem. Believe me, I can relate to this song. No answer ever came, just dread and despair for myself, for my brother, and for my whole family. The problem lasted for over 12 years and at the end both my parents were gone and a year later the police found my brother dead on his basement floor as you can imagine it was a dark and unhappy time James 1 verse two says, "Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance has has its perfect result, that you be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." Can I tell you honestly, that I was not joyful going through this trial? Now I know the verses, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. Or perhaps Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. But to be honest, I had no peace. We had gone through various trials before, and we were able to work our way through these trials with thanksgiving. But this was different. It was too close. It was unending with no apparent resolve. For the life of me, I couldn't see the benefits If you ask me today, would I be willing to go through this again? I'd say, are you crazy? No one deserves such pain. The problem is this there is no peace and there is no joy when you focus on yourself. There is no peace and there is no joy when you focus on trying to fix it yourself. I found my piece in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice, Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be exceedingly joyful. See, when you focus on Jesus Christ, everything looks different. Consider Jesus for a moment. He was himself exiled from his home. He lost everything his divine position or his divine privilege, and he became a servant. And he was abused, tormented all day long by his enemies. And in the world, he was rejected. Most of the people rejected him and his message. He was tormented by his enemies all day long, who tested him, who railed at him, who spit upon him, who scourged him, and finally nailed him to the cross. And on that cross, he prayed the same prayer that we saw in Psalm 42. Father, why have you forsaken me? I am grateful that we have a God who cares for us and understands our condition. I am grateful that we have a Savior who was tempted and tested in all points as we are, yet without sin. And I am grateful that he has allowed us to experience in a small part his sufferings so that we might fully know him. If he was made perfect through sufferings, how much more do I need to be refined and changed through suffering? Praise God who counts us worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Shall so we pray?